LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. Welcome to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for his glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, Josh King, and Micah Fries. We're glad you're here. Welcome to another episode of the EST, the podcast for the Established Church by Established Church Leaders. And uh, Merry Christmas to you guys, Micah and Sam. How are you today? Merry Christmas. I'm doing Merry great. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Happy I'm Advent. Good. I'm wearing my Merry Everything shirt. And to be clear, that is M-E-R-R-Y, not M-A-R-R-Y. Merry everything. <laughs> Last night we had our staff Christmas uh, dinner, gift exchange, or, you know, we did the ornament, $10 limit. Somebody opened up one of these, and one of the ornaments said, Happy Holidays. The other one said, Season Greetings. And I just died laughing because I'm like, that's the most politically correct Christmas ornaments that I've seen. And so we all kind of started calling those the politically correct Christmas ornaments. So. Do you guys have favorite Christmas ornaments on your tree? I I don't know. My wife puts them up. You don't have like sentimental ones, just just normal ones. I don't even I you know I don't even know which ones we have. Really, I'm sending you a Christmas ornament, man. Christmas decorations are house dander. I'm sending you a Christmas ornament, and it's going to say <laughs> Josh and Sam and Micah BFFFs. <laughs> Turn yeah, your F in there. <laughs> I what about love, you, Micah? I love our decorations, but I don't know that I would say I have a favorite one. Like, oh, I mean, I've got a bunch of different favorites. I've got a ones. Packer one, and I've got a Jimmy Johnson NASCAR one mm. on my tree. So, you know. I've got quite a few Cowboys, some some uh, Longhorns, but I have one from Criswell College, and it's a cool little ornament. And it's a basic. It's like a blue orb with the logo on the front, and uh, I now, like it. I, I do have a Jackie Robinson ornament. Mm. Oh, that's I forgot cool. about that. Yeah, That's pretty cool. Jackie yeah. has a bunch of, um, uh, you know, like baseball players, famous ones. I don't know who any of them are, but I know that they're famous, and she likes them. So that's cool. Every year our kids buy an ornament, or they get an ornament, they put it on, that's their yearly, and then you put the date and their initial on it. So it's a thing that apparently Jackie's family did, and now we do it, and I think it's kind of <laughs> cool. It's fun. That's awesome. We, we don't have a lot of the homemade ones, which I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for. Those kind of like we kind of – throw those in the trash oh man <laughs> I, we've got some homemade ones they're bad my mom still has homemade ones that i made when i was a little kid oh man yeah, my mom does still. that too mrs micah's mom if you're listening send us pictures of micah when he was a kid <laughs> on those ornaments those little ones with his picture on it i don't think my mom listens to the podcast i could be wrong but i don't think she does sam's mom does I think true. I think yeah, Nelly Joe, my mom. I think she, she does. does. She messages me. Again. Shout out, shout out to my mom. Yeah, shout she out to Nelly Joe. You, that's awesome. She does. <laughs> she messages that's me on occasion. Does she I love give Nelly stories Joe. about Sam? That's what we want. We want stories about Sam. <laughs> oh, you see, now listen, my mom even better. My right. mom would try hard not to embarrass me because she thinks I'm the greatest thing ever. It would be my dad that she'd have to watch out right. for. Right. All right. So let's just put the word out there. That we need the, that's Dr. Right. Rayner or Jonathan Howe. To help us out with some sort of incriminating evidence of dig, young Sam Rayner. Dig, dig, find us some good stuff. Hey, um, 
Before we get started talking on this, I do want to mention that this episode of EST is brought in partnership with the Christian Standard Bible, which is both readable and accurate. It's my favorite uh, Bible translation for English speakers, as well as Micah and Sam's, I'm sure. And uh, they just recently joined in with Christianity Today to uh, produce and provide the Living and Effective podcast, which, as we've heard, have you've heard us talk about it, we love it. It's great. It it looks at what happens when the Bible confronts current cultural issues, and just fantastic stuff. Encourage you to listen to it on your favorite podcatcher. But today, today we have our own show to do, and uh, we did a bunch of pre-production um, discussions here. And this episode topic actually comes in from a listener who says that he is a big listener of the show, has listened for a while, and um, is pastoring a more of a rural context church. And here recently, in his pastoring of this EST church, he has gone from about 80 when he took it to a little bit over 150. And uh, that's in less than a year. So some phenomenal growth in that. And he just simply asked, what do I do with growth? How do I handle growth effectively? So that's today's topic. And... um, we're going to have to just kind of share a little bit first to just give some background. Have you guys ever been in those situations where you go in and, and there's just like, whoa, we, we pretty much doubled? Uh, I don't know that I've ever doubled, but I've, I've, a couple of my churches have I've seen some pretty amazing growth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, to this day, I, I guess it was just a God thing because uh, it was not strategic on my part. I was younger. Um, but, yeah, I've, I've, I've been there, um, yeah. certainly. Yeah, the first church I served, uh, Missouri Valley, we um, there were 33 people there my very first Sunday. It was very similar to what you're describing, Josh. It was a rural mm-hmm. church. We bought the cornfield between the, the church and the and the road just so when people drove by, they would see our church. We bought the cornfield and cut down the corn, one of the first things I did when we got there. And we grew from 33 to a little over 100 in a year wow. or two, in a couple of years. I don't know, something like that, a couple of years. And, um, and so, yeah, we had to manage a lot of that. I mean, we just, you know, and then... Um, Next church I went to, we saw about 25% growth over a, a couple of years, and, and now at Brainerd we've seen, um, I don't know, 25 30% growth in the last two years, something like that. So, I mean, That's yeah, phenomenal. we've seen that. Yeah, it's been good. At our church in Texas, the Easter before I came, they had 115, and uh, that was high attendance, you know. And uh, so on average they were around 90 to 100. And then uh, within a few months – we ballooned up to a little over 300, close to 400. And um, so that was a good thing. That was some quick growth. I'm not sure about the uh, percentages of the growth we've had here in Conway in the three months that I've been here. I do know this is sort of a funny story, Sam, um, because you weren't in on this text message. But I text Micah something about like, uh, hey, I think we have like this percentage of growth since I've been here. And so... He's like, well, that's really great. And so um, there's a very simple formula. Yeah. yeah. So I send it to him and I was like, this is, this is exciting. Look at this, you know? And, and he's like, well, what was it when you got there? And I was like, well, this was the average for the whole, you know, year and a half before I came. And this is what we're averaging since. And he's like, Josh, that's a lot more than that percentage. I was like, I don't know how to figure out percentages. I had to to help Josh understand how to do simple percentage. There's a website, percentagecalculator.com, Josh. It's really a super simple thing to use. I need that. Is there really a website for that? There really is. There's a website for everything. type in the numbers, and it gives you, let's see, percentagecalculator.net. That's the website. That's hilarious. It's got three different ones. What is what percent of what number? 
what is what percent of you know what number and what is the percentage increase decrease from what number to what number so yeah you can it's super simple pastors you should never have a problem getting your numbers right <laughs> josh especially you, josh. Especially i'm on the website you know right Micah. now <laughs> this is this is unbelievable some Nut out there created a very simple. It probably gets. Oh, if you know how many times a, a week I use this website, yeah. What is it? What is it? What's the name? The What's the name? PercentageCalculator.net. Percentage calculator. If you know how many oh, times man. I use this every week, it's amazing. Let's go there. In fact, Josh, when you called oh, me and, wow. and talked to me about the numbers, when you texted me, this is where I was at, making sure that your numbers were right. Which were way off. They were You're bad. So for both they were like grown, more than 10% yeah, off. You had grown <laughs> both by a you. whole you, lot more than you thought. You shouldn't, good. Need a, you shouldn't need a website. This is a very simple formula. Sam, if you knew how many times I shouldn't need an app or a website, (laughs) you wouldn't even talk to me. But there's a difference between I shouldn't need it and, hey, it's available, so I'm going to use it. That's right. That is right. Fair enough. Fair enough. So we've all experienced some growth and um, some substantial growth in some of our churches. I thought, you know, here's, here's the curiosity to it, which to our listener who is asking about this, I think one of the most important things to do or careful uh, considerations to make is why? Why is that happening? And we and it really is humbling because what we like to believe is that, well, we're just phenomenal at preaching or leading, and so this is what happens. But I do think that there are just some standard factors that happen a lot of the time, and, um, you know, they lead to an initial surge. And even it's not necessarily like a, a flash in the pan. It may be, sub, you know, sustaining. But uh, like some of those factors, for instance, are when a church is without a pastor or a leader, there is this um, this group of people who kind of stop coming. They didn't no, leave right. the church. They just kind of faded out. So and when they get a, a new pastor, they come back in. Yeah, it creates a little bit of an impression of a false growth right off the bat because they've, they've sort of artificially dipped during the interim, and then they basically just come back, which can look like growth. And, I mean, it, mm-hmm. in a sense it is growth, but be careful chalking up too much in terms of trying to project out future growth based right, off so, of that. Right. So here in Conway, I actually asked, you know, um, uh, one of my coworkers to help me go through sort of this surge and see what percentage of them or how many of them were actually just kind of getting back into the group of things. And um, that's that's an interesting thing. What are some other factors that may lead to that initial surge? Curiosity factor. Um you know, just people just checking you out as a new mm-hmm. pastor. Yeah, I think that's I mean, in particular, Sam, uh, in Bible Belt context. Like there, there is sort of a culture of, hey, there's a new pastor. Let's go over to that church and check that pastor out. Now, you don't, you may not see that in Bradenton, you know, and in the Midwest and West Coast, East Coast, that sort of thing. But the Bible Belt, uh, that can really be true. And so you've that's got clearly I, there. Yeah, I remember at a church I pastored previously, li- literally looking around the congregation and thinking, that's the you know, the whatever church group, and that's the whatever church group, and that's the whatever (laughs) church group. And I could name the churches that they had all been at previously. Right. So definitely some curiosity, Sam, on that. Just kind of trying to see what it's like. Now, does that stay, or does it have a potential to stay, or do they just kind of go curious something else after that? Well, it's part of a greater phenomenon with with a new pastor. So um, yeah, there, there will be a handful that stay. Most, I would say most will not. So your first three months in any church, just about of any size, you're going to see a bump just because people are coming to check you out. Some are curious. Some are spies from other churches. 
um, some are looking for a church, and you just happen to be the catalyst. It has nothing to do with you. They don't even know your name. They don't even know who you are. They just, oh, they've got a new pastor. Maybe I should go to church. Um, so there's a phenomenon of curiosity in which people come and, and look and see. Um, inevitably, some will say, but stay, yes, but then some will leave, too. I mean, you're, you're going to have the same effect on people, you know, heading out uh, heading out of the church as there are coming in. That's true, um, yeah. So there's a, there's a shuffling in your first three months. Most of the time you see a bump unless you're coming in under some sort of controversy or some sort of tension. Um, you know, church is about to split. They're bringing you in. Uh, most of the time, if, it, if the church is in a halfway decent place, you're going to see a little bump your first three months, and then mm-hmm. it'll start settling about six months in. Maybe yeah, a that's a great, the great, uh, great question. Not only figuring out why this growth is happening, and I think there are some other just positive things. You may be actually a much better speaker or communicator, and that will get out very quickly. People will be like, no, you got to come hear this sermon. Um, that's a good thing. You also may capitalize, which we do here, um, and something you know, like I have a strength in is capitalizing social media buzz and capitalizing on um, just just this idea of kind of the shift in what we're doing, getting the message out more. And that's actual growth. You can do that if you're there for 10 years. You can do that for 10 weeks. So capitalizing on that social media, those are some good factors as well as just you may be making good changes. For instance, um, a minister may come in and launch some new small groups and re you know rally the small groups or the Sunday schools around into a growth um, position, and they start doing what they're doing because everybody's excited and they're bringing in their neighbors, they're bringing in their friends. So those are some positive things. You just want to be kind of sober-minded on how this growth is happening because it's going to stop. It's, yeah, it's probably going to stop. That, I, that's kind of what I wanted, wanted, I wanted to take off of from here, Josh. I mean, it's one thing to, to identify where the growth is coming from and, you know, just understanding the growth. But what do you do in response to the growth? There's two things in my mind that I'm thinking of. One, how does your leadership change as the size of the church changes? And I, there's, a, there's a great article that's been passed around many, many times. You guys have both probably read it, mm-hmm. called Process Managing Church Growth by Tim Keller. Um, we'll share it out on the EST's social media feed so that you can... That's right. It'll be in the show notes as well. Yeah, and it'll be in the show notes. Really, really good resource that talks about how pastoral leadership has to change as the size of the church changes. And that's mm-hmm. uh, Keller makes the argument, and I think he's right, that one of the main reasons why churches grow and then plateau is because the pastor is not able to make the adjustment necessary. They make, you know, they're, they're good for the initial growth, but they can't make the adjustment necessary for the next sta- stage of growth. And so uh, that's, that's one thing. But the other question, Josh, really, that I'd be curious to hear from you guys is just how do you think about long-term structural changes. And when I say structural, I mean uh, I mean even everything from changing the organization of the staff, the governance of the church to the building or remodeling of church facilities based on growth. What are mm-hmm. the factors we need to think about about long-term structural changes because and here's why I ask this question. Because I think a lot of pastors roll in the door, they're there for a year or two, they see some growth, it's exciting and they think, "Okay, we really need to make substantive seismic shifts to accommodate this growth." But if the average pastor is not going to be there that long, mm-hmm. then, I would, then I would recommend being very careful about making significant structural shifts, unless you're planning to be there to follow it through and, and sort of to see the ramifications of those structural shifts. But I'm curious to hear what you guys think. Uh, it depends on the structural change and where the church is. 
So when I came into West Bradenton, the bylaws desperately needed to be updated, and we completely restructured the church through a by, through just completely rewriting the bylaws. Sure. And but the church was asking for it. They right, you know they right. brought me in. I mean, I guess I'm an okay preacher, but they didn't mention my preaching ability bringing me in. They said we need administrative <laughs> help. That's why we're bringing you in. We need strategic help. We need administrative help. Um, and you know, I guess I just have to be self-aware enough to know that that's my strength, and you know, I'm not going to grow a church based on my preaching ability. So, um, so they brought me in, and that's what they wanted. That's what they desired. And they, and it wasn't a case of we say we want this and we really don't. They really needed it. They really wanted it. So we were able to come in and do that. Also, make some staffing changes, um, not letting people go, but restructuring the staff um, as well. So it, it just depends. Now, in another case, in another church, that you could be walking into a death trap if you did that. Um, it just, it just, com- it's just completely case by case. That's why you need to know your church, and that's why I recommend your first six months, you just need to be getting to know the people. Like, you, you know, people say they want something, and whether or not they really do or not, you've got to figure that out. Um, you've got to figure out what the landmines are, what things are really going to be sticky, what things aren't. Um, but I do think you can make some structural changes um, particularly if you if it's not stru- if if it's not around you as the leader if you're so, not doing this that so it fits your personality um, if you're doing it on behalf of the church that's a whole different thing so a lot of guys want to come in and they want to create something around themselves that's just the natural sort of bent that we have you got to avoid that because yeah you is, could be gone in two years so let me let me respond because I, I would agree absolutely with with you Sam if I can make a distinction I think the distinction is. Like your description of changing the bylaws, that's a big structural change, but it but it accommodated a pre-existing situation before mm-hmm. you got there, right? So there was already a need when you got there, and you're helping change it. I'm thinking more in terms of a person gets there, sees some growth. Say they get there, and you know, let's let's talk about the guy who saw growth from uh, the the listener, Josh. What was the size from eighty to eighty to one hundred fifty? Yeah. 80 from 150. So that's awesome. Now, if he says, okay, we need to go build something new. And I'll tell you why I know this, because I did this at the very first church I was at, and it wasn't a wise idea, and thankfully we didn't end up building the building. Um, but that growth, there's there's no evidence yet that that growth is going to be substantiated long term, right? Like, let's say he leaves in a year or two, three years down the road. Mm-hmm. Is that growth going to be able to be sustained, and do they now have a large building that they can't fill and they're having to pay for, that sort of thing? So I, I think you're absolutely right, Sam. There are definitely some structural changes that could be made early on in the tenure. But generally, my thought is that they would accompany sort of pre-existing situations that weren't just dependent on the last six months that the pastor has been there. Right, and let me um, clarify something. I, w- I went back and looked at his note, so I, I was completely wrong on it. He did grow from 88 to 150, but it was over five years. So yeah, that's no, a little that's, bit different than what we're talking about. That's much different. That's much different. So that's my bad. Um, Friendship Baptist um, made you out Still phenomenal you. growth, it's, though. It, it is fantastic. Like Do not want to act like that's not. No, I no, no, no. That's... Here, I'm going to tell you, Josh, I think that's better growth. It's actually healthier, yeah. Well, And not just healthier, because in my, I've seen a lot of churches who will go from 80 to 150 in a year, and then something happens or the pastor leaves, and they're right back to 80. When you go to 80 to 150 over a five-year period, you're much more likely that that's legitimate growth that's going to be mm-hmm. there, whether the pastor's mm-hmm. there or not. Yeah. I think that's better growth. That's exciting growth. So we do want to, we want to say um, kudos to Jerry at Friendship Baptist in East Texas. That's, that's a fantastic thing. And so I would say, Micah, here's my thought on it. I don't like making choices or decisions that have long-term effects that are dependent on if we keep growing this way. I, I've seen that almost never work out because 
you know, growth in my experience comes in waves or in cycles. If you're, if even the healthiest churches, there are these crazy things, these crazy situations that happen where you hear about, um, so-and-so went to a church that ran 300 and now five years later, it's running 10,000. I get that. I hear that story. And so on one part, I would say, you got to be really careful on believing the Twitter version of a growth story. There are almost always, almost always, and I can't emphasize this enough, other factors that happened that are just not reproducible. And some of them happen on, I would say, on the shadier side of what happens in church growth. Nothing on that church. It's just, it's not always that 300 to 10,000 is 9,700 new people got saved. That's just not what happens. So um, I wouldn't base decisions on that. And the sad reality is it's it happens so often that you can almost just uh, expect new new person comes in, surge of growth, build a building, payment, you know, the payment comes, new guy heads off to greener pasture type of thing. And I think that there's some factors to think of in that. But for instance, here, we did surge. We had this big surge come in and um, it affected clearly the number of seats that we needed to needed to have in the the service. And you know, the 80% rule, that is a factor that you want to think of. I don't think it's the only factor you want to consider, especially in the initial surge, because again, I think you should expect to go down a little bit. You should expect to plateau down. And so we started coming up with seating options that did not include spending a lot of money, did not include uh, building a new building, those sort of things. We made, this will be our initial step, and this will be our next step past that. And it's not so much a matter of if we grow. So I've seen churches like, we need to build this new building. Uh, It's going to cost us $3 million. We're going to build it out here because we're running this many people right now. And then you say, well, how are you going to pay for it? Well, if we continue to grow with this pattern, we'll be able to afford it. And I think that that's a very sketchy way to do it. That's that's just my opinion. I wouldn't I wouldn't gamble your future away on the potential of something that happens. It's it's a lot harder to happen and keep happening. Yeah, I think building is 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 fine as a. But I'm I'm with you, Josh. I think you're you're trying to be very careful, and it's a bit of a last resort. I mean, you're trying to mm-hmm. find every other alternative first before you get to the point where you're saying, all right, well, we're just going to go have to spend. I mean, we're, we're, getting, we're in the midst of putting a proposal together to build a new sanctuary at Brainerd. We're in about a 10-year pattern of growth. Uh, so it's, it's gone across two, two different pastors, and we're running five services every weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so we've tried to maximize our space as much as possible. We're going to build. We're also building as small as we can, and we're spending as little money as we can in, in the building ultimately. But it's still going to be a very expensive proposition. And, uh, but we're trying to say, okay, we've got a decade worth of evidence that says – this is not going to stop. You know, we, we think this is continuing to go. So right. I, I think it's okay to do that. I think you're just trying to find a way to not if it is as much as possible before you finally get to the point where you say, okay, well, we're going to have to do this. Right. So 90% of the cost of a building will occur after you build it. Wow. wow. Great yeah. thing to think about. That's significant. So if you, if you build a $1 million facility mm-hmm. over the course of the life of that facility, you will spend $10 million operating it if you and you've heard of these churches that have built hundred million dollar campuses mm-hmm. right right over the course of the life of those campuses they will spend a billion that's with a b billion dollars operating it so that's anytime crazy. you build you really that that is the one thing that i was going to say 
capital investments can be a very good thing, can be a very useful thing. But if you're a pastor and you're looking to build or do something major that is going to be an ongoing cost factor, you really need to carefully consider what you were doing because uh, the, the the question of what if I get hit by the bus or get called away definitely needs to come into your mind. Right. Because you can set it up very poorly for the next person. And I think that we've spent the majority of the time here talking about why that growth happens, maybe what not to do. Uh, we got about, I don't know, six minutes. What about some things to do? I would I would start that conversation off by just, for me, the way I'm wired, I focus on systems, not so much um, holding all of these people. We need to come up with solutions for that. But I'm really very concerned about how do we get those people into a small group? What's our system for getting these guests that are coming in the door to active membership, to um, you know, investing in small groups and then serving. So that's, I'm always considering that. That's what I want to do because I want to make disciples. I want this thing to be sustainable. It's something that's not built around uh, my social media account or my preaching abilities. It's built around, you know, the system that can keep going and, and um, the, maybe, maybe system's a bad word, but the priorities we have, the things that we're really going to focus on need to be, in my mind, worrying more about those priorities in the system of making disciples instead of um, building, you know, building, building, but not so much that, but just attracting a large crowd. And I think sometimes we get more focused on that. Nothing wrong with considering that. You've got to. That's that's part of your job. Do that. But um, at least in my mindset, I focus more on the priorities. What are the priorities that we're going to work on? What about you yeah, guys? And your priorities, what should you do? It, you you got to ask the question, who are these people? Mm-hmm. So, you know, if they're, if it's 50 people from another church, you're going to have a whole different process of how you assimilate that for whatever that could be good or bad. I mean, yeah. um, th- that's going to be a whole different process for assimilation than these are 50 new, you know, brand new believers and they've never been in church before in their lives. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you need to take a step back and let's say you do grow from 50 to a hundred or a hundred to 200 you, you step. You, you got to ask the question, who are they and where are they coming from? Right. And then absolutely you have to focus on assimilation, whatever assimilation methods you have or however, however you go about that, you, you can't leave them stranded. They're, they're coming in, they're new, they don't know your church, um, then you, you have to flip the switch, so to speak, to assimilation. Otherwise, you're just going to lose them. Right. I mean, just as a side note, anytime, as a Baptist, anytime I hear somebody tell me a story of 30 or 50% growth, um, that's a result of a fight that's happening at a church down the road, that's not exciting to me. That's that's pretty scary to me. No. Like, you don't <laughs> no, want 50% new voters in your con- we're congregationalist you know so um, that's always a scary issue to me and you know of course you're going to hear their side of the story you know and so just i don't know micah what are some things you should do yeah i think one of the hardest and i'm going to go back to my point about keller's process managing church growth article yeah. you're going to have to shift your how you lead the people you if, if you yeah. yeah you will have to and i'm just telling mm-hmm. you this is in my experience over and over the Many of the biggest impediments to not only church growth, but church maturation, discipleship, it's how we lead as pastors. And uh, if you go from a church of, say, let's say over a 10-year period, you go from a church of 50 to 150 or 200, Mm -hmm. that would be phenomenal growth. That would be outstanding growth. But when you're at 50, you know everybody. You know Mm -hmm. their birthdays. You know when they're in the hospital. When they're at 200, you can't know that. It's, impo- it's really impossible. In fact, there probably needs to be two of you at that point who are helping to pastor and, and lead. And you've got to move. You know, I, I've been at Brainerd now two and a half years. 
And Brainerd is large enough that I was at our Christmas program last night, and I was looking across the choir and orchestra, and I was, I was thinking about a few of the names and faces that I, that I don't know. I've been here two and a half years, and I don't know them. I, I really want to know them, and I'm trying. It's amazing how many things we put in the schedule to try and get to know people. Mm-hmm. But there's just enough people that I can't. So as, as a leader, I have to ask the question, do I have to be a type of leader who has to know everybody by name? has to know their kids. I have to know what's going on. When I was at a smaller church, I did know that. Here, there's no way I will ever know that. Can I be okay with that? Am I okay leading at a different level? So instead of leading hands-on with every individual person, I'm leading at a little bit of a different level where I'm directing other leaders who are the more hands-on with every person. Does that make sense? So I, I think it's difficult because I think most of us initially lead just out of our comfort level. Sort of here's what we're good at. And when growth happens, it happens because our comfort level in leadership matches up with the need of the church at the right time. Right. Sustained growth over the long term will never, almost never happen that way. You're going to have to learn and develop skills that are not natural to you in order to sustain and, and develop and sustain growth over the long term. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the name of that article, again, is Process Managing Church Growth. We're going to have it in the show notes, but you can also just Google it. Process Managing Church Growth by Tim Keller. PDF will jump up everywhere. Um, it sounds very, really boring. Oh, it's it, so good, though. But it, once you start reading, you're like, oh, yes, this is. And, you know, my experience... In Texas, we had this big surge of growth, and we went through sort of a fight, and so there was some problems there, and then we went back down, and then we were kind of growing, but it wasn't – it was kind of plateauing, and it was frustrating for me in a lot of ways. And I read uh, Breaking Church Growth Barriers, which at first I thought, this is so not my personality. I'm not a church growth kind of guy, and so I didn't want to, but a bunch of friends told me, no, you need to read it. And it was very similar in – it addressed more of the – the pastor. I thought it was going to be attractional, but it was more about leadership styles on different sizes of churches. And the amazing thing to me was they started at, let's say, this level, and then there was level A, B, C, D, and we were at, say, C. Um, The amazing thing to me was they were so spot on. When we were at A, we made these changes, and we got to B. And when we were at B, we made those same changes that are in the book, and we got to C. And so I just at that point was like, definitely need to just kind of follow what they're doing here. And, you know, the other thing that I would add to what you're saying there, Mike, is I hear a lot of guys say, man, I'm just I'm just the kind of leader that needs this. I don't like this anymore and all this kind of stuff. I think it just looks different. I would encourage them to think about how it looks differently. If, you, if you're at a church that just runs 50 and you know everybody and you, you know their families and stuff and you invest in them, and then you're at a church that runs 2,000 and you're like, I don't know everybody anymore. I would just encourage you to kind of consider, like, maybe you probably know 50, and you probably know 50 really well. It's not that you're not knowing everybody. You're knowing about the same. It's just you don't know everybody. And so if you can find some joy in those changes and shifts, it'll help you a lot as you go through them. Sam, you got any final words? I've got lots of final words, but we just don't have enough time, unfortunately. But I like the 30-minute spot, so we're going to keep it there. We are right at 30 minutes, but I'll just say this. Let's say your church isn't growing. Mm -hmm. Don't be discouraged. Keep at it. I know this whole podcast is about church growth. Um, Listen, West Braden Baptist, we've seen a little bit of attendance. We've grown in many, many ways, and we've we've seen some pretty awesome stuff happen at our church, Mm -hmm. but we have not seen the attendance break out that I would have expected at this point. So I'm going to be real about where I am right now. Um, We're in a very healthy place, and we're doing fine, but I'm thinking we should be be bigger um, than we are right now. So don't, don't be discouraged. Um, you know, even if you're like, man, my church isn't growing. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm right there with you. We're in a we're in a season of plateau. No, I've got some I've got some ideas to break out of it, and I think we will. But 
Um, but just keep at it. I, yeah. I'll just I'll give an encouragement to those who are in my camp right now. That's right, Micah. Uh, we're not seeing phenomenal growth, um, even though I'd like to see it. Let me say what uh, to echo Sam's words. When I was at Lifeway Research, I did a bunch of research on this, and guys, so much of church growth is dependent on demographics. Yes, the Lord does it, absolutely. And the Lord blesses faithfulness, and we go out and we share the gospel and we work and we try and develop strategies. But you, you need a critical mass of people. You generally need a transient group of people. Most church growth happens where there's a lot of, there's an influx of a population into an area that's a high-density area. That's most of the time where growth, growth happens. So if you don't have growth, listen, you could be incredibly faithful doing all the right things, and you just don't have the demographics around you that typically support a lot of the church growth that you see in other churches. And so I'm with Sam. Don't be discouraged. The, the one thing I would say to those of you who are experiencing growth is enjoy it. Celebrate it. Be thankful for it. I, I'm, I'm super hyperactive, and I'm always thinking about the next thing. And sometimes I forget to just step back and just enjoy the moment that I'm in that fun. God is yeah. doing at our church. That's right. It's fun. This is, it's good. So just take a breath and be thankful for what God That's is right. doing. That's all the time we have for today. But before we sign off, we do want to encourage you to check out other podcasts like Making Disciples. Host Robbie Gallaty and Chris Swain will help you make Jesus' final word your first work. In each episode, you will hear a discussion and discipleship on about discipleship and disciple making in the local church. So check it out in iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Making Disciples and EST are proud members of the Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. You've been listening to EST, a discussion for the established church. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, as well as subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcatcher. Thanks for listening. EST is proud to be a part of the Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network.